The dogs are back, baby. Other teams played games, but listen, the dogs are back. We're going to be talking about Washington's huge win over Michigan State. Oregon had a nice win over BYU. Uh, USC had a good win over Fresno. Pac-12, generally pretty strong. All that and more on this week's Eligible Receivers. He's Eric. I'm Warren. Let's start the show. Hello, blog fans. Well, you work all week on trying to identify who the eligible receivers are. This is Eligible Receivers, the show where we review last week's Pac-12 action, pick this week's Pac-12 games against the spread, and keep track of how we're doing on our picks over the course of the season. This week started off, uh, let's go with South Alabama and UCLA. Too much of a game, I would say, if you're a Chip Kelly supporter, a Bruin supporter. I mean, South Alabama gave the game away. Yeah. They I... absolutely gave the game away. They had it. They were, with three minutes left to go in the game, they had a fourth and two on, like, their 22 chip shot field goal time, you know, to put them up five. At that point, they were up uh, 29-28, I think, or they were up by a two. Um, and so they go up five, so that UCLA would have to score a touchdown to beat them. And they run some wackadoodle fake field goal that gets blown up in the backfield. UCLA takes the ball, drives down the field the last two minutes of the game, and kicks a field goal as time expires to win it. Like South Alabama like should have won this game. Yeah, and uh, we've been talking about it this year. Another almost another Sun Belter, uh, Appalachian State had Texas A and M. Marshall had Notre Dame. South Alabama almost getting in on the party, but I mean they they covered so comfortably. UCLA were fifteen and a half point favorites in this game or something. Uh, I, I worrying uh, for UCLA or maybe South Alabama was just good, you know. Yeah, I mean UCLA because Michigan canceled their home and home. UCLA's non-conference has been terrible. And so you wonder if UCLA isn't bored to some extent with, you know, the the, the teams they've been playing because, like, like, the prior week they played Alabama State. They're playing in a Rose Bowl that has nobody in it. Um, you know, there's just – it's just not – it's not a lot of excitement to it. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't think Chip Kelly's ever really figured it out at UCLA. I mean, uh-uh. like, he, he hasn't. Um, and so – there's always something that seems like it's like a, a wrong with UCLA. And so maybe this is just a harbinger of things to come for them. Yeah. Fifth year. And it's still kind of, I mean, it's, you figure they're going to let him leave. Right. Cause you've read those stories about how UCLA and USC going to the big 10, obviously in a couple of years, but like the regents of the university of California system are saying, Hey, maybe not so fast, but I mean, they have, they're going to let him go. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's like, who cares about UCLA? Yeah, I mean, I think unless somebody on the inside of UCLA is, is, you know, trying to do a poison pill of some kind and work with the regents to, to undermine this thing, I, I don't see how, if they're in lockstep and they want to go, I, I think they're going to go. Yeah, I would think so, too. Um, next game, let's do, oh, this was a relatively early one, Minnesota and Colorado, uh, Colorado, uh, 49 to seven losers against like, you know, Minnesota's like your classic kind of like, you know, they're going to be like going to the quick lane bowl or something, you know, like just a big 10 bowl team, but nothing more. Uh, and Colorado was just no match for him. Colorado's bad. Like 
They're bad, bad. Really, really, really bad. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know when they're going to fire Darrell. It's going to have to be soon because they're they're not going to win a game this year. I mean, did they win a game? I don't think they did. They haven't yet. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know which one they're going to get because they are god awful. So probably the last couple of games of uh, Carl Durrell's uh, tenure at uh, Colorado come up here. Well, you know, what a, what a business to be in. You know what I mean? He uh, got himself enough money to retire on and then won't even have to complete his contract. What a world. I know, dude. Wait, what are we, what are we doing? We, we screwed up. We made a terrible error. <laughs> Uh, how about Oregon State and Montana State real quick? Beat down city. Oregon State 68, Montana State 28. Beavs are coming out of the coming out of non-conference. Got to be feeling really good about themselves. Probably should be ranked. Um, just, a, just a really quality non-conference slate. Finished it up with a nice, easy FCS opponent. And now on to a big game this week against the Trojans. Yeah, and uh, another team that took care of business in non-conference, also surprisingly from the Northwest, Washington State. They played Colorado State. The first two weeks, Washington State, you know, they they squeak by Idaho, and you're like, are these guys in trouble? Then the shocker win against Wisconsin at Wisconsin, but also very low scoring in this game. Here we finally get uh, Cam Ward, four touchdown passes in this game, uh, gets to 300 yards for the first time as a Cougar, I believe. Uh, and you know, a, a real comfortable, you know, like a taking care of business non-conference win against an overmatched Mountain West team, WSU 38 to seven. Yeah. I mean, WSU's up 31, nothing in the fourth quarter. This is, this game was not a non-contest. So yeah, I mean, WSU's front seven in particular on defense looks feisty, man. They, they look good. They probably, I don't know for sure, but probably have depth issues that they, you know, it seems WSU can can come out of the gate some years and have a really good starting unit in a defense or offense and what sort of is their undoing is is the the rigors of the season plays out they they get a couple of injuries and they just don't have the depth yeah. to replace those guys um my my supposition is that's probably the same this year but for now they they are relatively healthy and they're they're looking good man yeah and i think uh, you raise a good point about uh their uh, their defense and their line play being like really strong. That's normally not what you think about with Washington State. And I'll, I'll uh, confess that, you know, uh, hugely possible I overlooked the impressive performance of Washington State's defense throughout the non-conference. I mean, holding Wisconsin to as little as they did. I mean, they didn't really give up anything of note against Idaho. I mean, what they Idaho scored like Seven, 17 points to Idaho, 14 points to Wisconsin, and seven to Colorado State. We're trending in the right direction. And, you know, I think it's just after years of conceiving of them as a team that scores for fun, uh, impressive uh, what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball, which is something we, you know you generally don't talk about with the Cougs. Like when they're good, it's because they're throwing it all over the yard. But new way to win, dude. They're definitely one to watch. They're in the mix of a, an overall, uh, I would say, a solid non-conference season for the conference as a whole. For sure, yeah. Yep. All right. Let's do uh, Utah and San Diego State, right? Uh, uh, Utah... 35, San Diego State 7. San Diego State, uh, their second game against a Pac-12 opponent, they got uh, beaten by Arizona uh, in their opener, which was a a little bit of a surprise considering how bad Arizona's been last year and how, uh, you know, traditionally San Diego State's been a very solid 
uh, Mountain West team. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe maybe this just isn't quite San Diego State's years, but also Utah, one of the best teams we have in the conference. Yeah, you, you like San Diego State seems to be down this year. Yeah, um, and they similarly to Colorado State uh, did not score until the fourth quarter of this game. They were down thirty-five nothing. So um, that indicates to me Utah could have beat them by as much as they had wanted to. Um, so I, you know, Utah. I think I think coming out of non-conference, you know, it's okay, but it's it's gonna just come back to what could have been, right? Like that that goal line pick against Florida in the mm. swamp, you know. Yeah. Florida Florida has looked really iffy the last oh, yeah. couple of weeks. They have not looked good. Uh, Anthony Richardson, the quarterback for Florida, who looked like a Heisman contender against Utah, has not played well at all in the subsequent games that Florida has had. Um, I think for Utah. They're really good, but it, that game is just gonna is just gonna you know haunt them. I think obviously if they run the table or even if they lose another game and make it to the Pac-12 championship, they'll be in the mix. Probably not for a playoff if they have that second loss, but yeah. Um, but yeah, just you know a, an okay non-conference for them. But man, I think it's gonna all come back to what could have been uh, down in the swamp there. All right, let's do Arizona and North Dakota State. This was a game, uh, Arizona, you know, we're trying to figure out exactly where they are, uh, and they're playing FCS powerhouse, North Dakota State, that hadn't lost in just ages. I think it might have been a couple of years since they'd lost a football game. But uh, North Dakota State gave them all they could handle, but Arizona uh, scores a touchdown to flip it with about five minutes to go and hang on to win 31 to 28. And I'm going to call this a good win for Arizona. Cause if you beat a team that's used to winning, I don't care what level they are. Uh, solid. Yeah. And, and Arizona's used to losing. So you, you bring those two mentalities together and you, you know, the outcome often will write itself. I, you know, Arizona, this is a good win for sure. I mean, North Dakota is the best FCS school there is. Uh, and Arizona's in year two of the Jed Fish rebuild, lots of new faces. So can't, you know, can't turn your, your nose down on this. I think Arizona's coming out of non-conference. They have to be feeling really good about themselves. You mentioned their their win over SDSU. Um, now they get another nice win. They're not going to beat anybody who's, you know, good to really good. But as part of a rebuild, this is what you got to do. You know, like they got to get to bowl eligibility this year. And part of that means you can't lose – can't drop non-conference games to opponents that your talent level is greater than theirs. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and uh, so, yeah, you know, they, they took care of business and, you know, nice win. Yeah. Uh, North Dakota had won their last six games against FPS teams prior to that. Yeah. So there you go. Now on the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> uh, in uh, <laughs> two hours down the road, yeah, at Arizona state, uh, they hosted Eastern Michigan and, uh, they just got beat by Eastern Michigan. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, uh, 24 to 14, uh, Eastern Michigan took a 10 point lead into the locker room at halftime and they made it stand up. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just, whew, I mean, the game was so bad that, uh, you know, Herm Edwards gets fired. It looks like there's some, you saw that video I'm sure going around where it looks like it happened on the field potentially. Well, it looks like it was the subject was broached on the field, if nothing else, or a, yeah. a meeting was scheduled for the following day on the field. This is your um, last time coaching this team. Yeah, I mean Arizona State. This this whole this whole Herm Edwards era is just, I think, an absolute 
uh, comedy of errors and arrogance. You know, the the athletic director used to be his agent, Herm Edwards' agent, kind of seems like a buddy hire. Uh, their whole uh, leadership model was a complete joke given they're now facing a bunch of uh, sanctions, you know, uh-huh. potential sanctions from the NCAA because the leader, Herm Edwards, uh, didn't, you know, care too much for the rules um, of the NCAA. And, I, and I'm sure that was entirely ignorance, by the way. Like I, I don't know if it was ignorance or arrogance, but it's it, it's inexcusable if you're going to be the guy who goes on ESPN and talks about being a leader and talks about, you know, leader of men and all that bullshit. I don't think I didn't understand the rules is a viable excuse um, for for doing what they did. Um, and then you have to also remember that Crow, that guy, uh, Michael Crow, I think is his name, is the president of ASU was one of Larry Scott's most ardent defenders. Ugh. He was he went to the mat for that guy constantly. Um, and as a result of the Larry Scott tenure, the Pac-12 is in the predicament that it's in. It's, you know, our, you know, USC and UCLA are leaving and I mean just that whole leadership model that the the guys in charge at ASU, uh, I mean Herm Edwards is fired, but man, there's two other dudes, the athletic director and the president that should follow him out the door. Um, it, it's just a complete debacle down there. Yep. Uh, do want to shout out our boy? We noted last week, the running back for Arizona state is Xavier Valade, uh, 127 yards on just 16 carries in the loss. So, uh, whoever's the interim coach, uh, you know, maybe double that load. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and see what we can do here. Uh, I mean, they had, I mean, I, I read something wild that they had like 51 players out of the portal this year, you know, cause like all their good players were leaving cause they thought sanctions were coming down and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, they had 51 Arizona had 50 just crazy turnover at those two schools. Yeah. It's wild, man. So it looks like Arizona on more stable footing, Arizona state, they are, uh, in the cycle right now or where they're going to be trying to figure out who they're going to, you know, like what level of the head coach market they're going to try and play at to hire, uh, I I haven't really even seen like names like who would go there right now. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm confident given the leadership uh, brain trust they have there that this is going to be a, a bad hire. <laughs> a bad hire. All right, let's do uh, California and Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame famously winless on the season coming into this playing a Cal Golden Bears team uh that you know uh, as always has a problem scoring the football this game uh comes down to cal attempting a hail mary to tie or give him a chance to take a two-point conversion to go for the win the ball flutters in the air bounces up uh ultimately uh bounces off a cal player on its way to the turf if that ball would have been caught it wouldn't have been the craziest thing that ever happened i mean that that play was there to be made uh, but Notre Dame hangs on for the win, twenty-four to seventeen. Their first win for their coach, Marcus Freeman. Yeah. Then there's some controversial officiating in this Notre Dame game, as there always seems to be when a Pac-12 school goes to Notre Dame. The yep. officials always seem to get one or two uh, egregiously uh, wrong calls in Notre Dame's favor. Um, you know, Notre Dame is not very good. Cal should have beat them. I think, honest to God, this to me is like more a reflection of Justin Wilcox than anything. Like, you know, he had an odd offseason where the Ducks supposedly offered him the head coaching job. He turned it down. He stayed at Cal. Like, that guy cannot get an offense 
to save his life. Yeah. Like, he hired Bo Baldwin several years ago out of Eastern Washington to be his offensive coordinator. We all thought that was a great hire. Like, you know, Eastern was running up and down the field on everybody at that time. You know, that didn't work out. I just, it's just is mind boggling that Wilcox cannot get an offense in place at a place that, you know, Marshawn Lynch and Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Jackson and like, like really good offensive players. Shane Vereen, like out Javi of Best, like uh, I mean, Tony Gonzalez. I mean, players. Like, crazy good players, right? Um, and and they just can't they can't play offense. So I I mean, honest to God, I think they should have won this game. And it's it's more of a negative reflection in my mind on Wilcox still not being able to put it together than it is like anything other than like up we went into Notre Dame and competed. Like that Notre Dame team sucks. And the glory of Cal is, and maybe why Wilcox is maybe like stupid like a fox for staying there, is that like, I bet everybody's pretty much fine with that, with that game. Yeah, that's the narrative, right? Like they played him tough. Yeah. It's like, well, this Notre Dame team sucks, guys. So. Yeah, this is a bad Notre Dame team. All right. Uh, USC and Fresno State. Uh, Jake Hayner got carted off the field in this game. I didn't see what the extent of this injury was, but he was out of there by the third quarter. Uh, USC was already in control at that point. And USC, uh, I I feel like I haven't been giving them enough credit this year. I mean, they just look like a, a machine right now. Lincoln Riley came in, pretty seamless transition uh, to getting to do what he wants to do with their great quarterback, Caleb Williams. Uh, USC, a formidable, formidable, potentially college football playoff crashing uh, power in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at what USC's problem has been in the last couple of years, it was Clay Helton and his yep. comedy, you know, his his comedic approach to coaching one of the best schools in in the country. At no point in time is has USC's roster, in my opinion, ever fallen out of the top twenty in terms of talent. Oh, never, never. And that you know, even when you look at their current composition of roster, where maybe you could argue their offensive and defensive line aren't as talented as they should be, that doesn't mean that the dudes that are starting there aren't good players. They're yeah. still four and five star guys. Um, and so Lincoln Riley, and, and you see the same thing like Kalen DeBoer did this basically at Washington to a lesser degree, but um, you know, Lincoln Riley shows up on campus and he doesn't have a roster that's bereft of talent. And yeah. then he facilitates some really good transfers like a quarterback and, you know, some skill position guys, the wide receivers, guys for the quarterback to throw to. Um, and so you add to what is already a top 20 talent roster, these really blue chip, you know, talents at the NCAA level. And you're going to have a roster that's ready to compete almost immediately. And then the question is, can Lincoln Riley coach? And I think, you know, he, he can, right? Like he's good. He's an organized guy. He, he gets his ducks in a row. He's got, you know, the right assembly of people around him. So where, you know, they've got the right meeting schedules and the, the nutrition and strength program is dialed and, you know, all the, the, the other stuff around a college football program that can derail you. He's got a system for all of that. Yeah. And as a result of which USC is immediately a top 10, you know, program and can threaten the playoff. I mean, this year, probably. Yeah. Uh, one thing to monitor for them is that after, uh, this game, they have something like their defense has created like eight turnovers, eight or nine turnovers, and their offense has yet to turn the ball over this season. Uh, they are first nationally in that stat. Uh, generally, that's 
unsustainable. Yeah. Uh, you know, eventually the other team stops giving you the ball. You can't really like set your watch to that. So uh, I've, I've heard some rumblings that maybe the defense has been a little fortunate so far, but I mean, they've just been kicking the heck out of everybody. So I'm, you know, I mean, and look, they haven't played, I mean, they haven't played anybody yet. Right. Like, they played Rice, right, in their opener. Yeah. Um, they just played Fresno State where Hayner got hurt. And Fresno State, you know, Fresno State did not beat Oregon State. Fresno State has not, you know, had the, the their non-conference season that they would have hoped for. So, you know, the, you know, you can you can take it with a grain of salt. I, I think they're probably a top 10 talent, you know, from a roster standpoint. They're ready to go. They may have some weaknesses again, on the lines in particular, um, that will take a cycle or two to, 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 you know, rectify. But, um, you know, right now their offense is, is humming. They look good. Yep. Uh, Oregon Ducks hosted a ranked BYU team, uh, at Autzen, uh, and, uh, you know, we're still like kind of unclear as to what we're looking at with Oregon under Dan Lanning. They got obviously boat raced by Georgia, which puts them in good company with about everybody, but like two teams in college football this year. Uh, and then, uh, the second week, uh, you know, they, uh, take care of business. Who did they play last week? Uh, I don't remember. They didn't someone, play Fresno, did they? No, 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 no. They played. They played an FCS school. They played like some bums. Ewu. Like they that. played Eastern Washington. Oh, that's right. They played Eastern. We thought maybe because we still don't know. Uh, they. I tell you what. They just dominated BYU in this game. BYU didn't look like they belonged on the field. Autzen was in the mix. Uh, Oregon, uh, nice, nice forty-one to twenty win. That's what. That's how you take care of these Mountain West teams. Or, yeah, BYU is like independent, but I consider them to be a Mountain West team. Yeah, I mean, and they jumped up on them big. They were up thirty-eight to seven on them in the in the third quarter. You know, so even even the final score of forty-one twenty sort of sort of flatters BYU because um, they scored. You know, what is that? Two touchdowns in garbage time. Um, so, you know, I mean, Bo Nix is playing well. He's still not throwing the ball down the field with great frequency, but he did do it more in this game than he had in previous games, which against Georgia, you're right. Nobody's going to do it, but against Iwu, he, he wasn't really going downfield. He did that a little bit more here. So I think that's a positive for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they, you have to say that they rebounded from that Georgia loss uh, effectively and now look to be a pretty formidable, you know, opponent, not, not, I don't think a top five, you know, top 10 type team, but, certainly a ranked team and a, and a good team on their day. All right. And I think we did every game, but the Huskies, is that right? Feels like it. Yeah. Feels like it too. Let's just say we did Washington hosted Michigan state. Michigan state comes into the game ranked 11th in the country. Uh, you know, at Washington had, you know, uh, Kent state and Portland state to start as a first opportunity to kind of take the temperature of the Kalen DeVore Huskies against uh, a competent power conference opposition. Uh, in the offense, as it did in the first two games, uh, any time the game was in question, they uh, basically scored touchdowns the entire time. Yeah, I mean, they came out early and started going down the field, and they continued to do that uh, <laughs> the entire the entire game. Uh, halftime, Washington's up twenty nine to eight. I mean, this was really not a con- you know much of a contested game. Um, UW was hitting harder than Michigan State. They had a couple of tackles on kickoff returns that were 
just gnarly. Yeah. Um, they they just I mean UW looked really really good. It 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 had a lot of vibes like the Stanford 2016 game, both going into the game and then the result of the game. Um, in terms of it, just the opponent was not was not ready um, for the intensity that Washington brought. Uh, Michael Pen- Penix is so good, dude. He's so good. He's so good. Um, he's so good. Oh, I mean, that God. his first lengthy pass to McMillan just drops it in the bucket. He finds open guys. They scheme guys so wide open that it's just an, it's a joke. You know, um, uh, there's like so many plays that I want to talk about in this game, but uh, on the uh, Phoenix front, uh, in the second half, I believe it was, Washington was backed up on their own goal line and had a third and ten. And instead of running it out to get room, they had Roma Dunze isolated on the outside and threw a 30-yard back shoulder fade that the ball couldn't have been in a better position on the, uh, on the, on that South sideline of Husky stadium. Yeah, it was, he did that in the first half to the, 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 this, it wasn't really a fade. It was like a dart. Um, in the same, same, almost exact same play when he, when he threw it to, uh, to La Papa, the running back. Yeah. For the, t- for the so that one was like that, that play. Cause I've gone back and watched highlights of this 80 times. The Telepapa touchdown was like, they, did the thing they do. They shift everybody around for the purpose of getting Talapapa on the outside marked by a linebacker. Yeah. And then, and that was just like a straight up bullet. The, well, I like the, the, the back shoulder fade is so dirty on that third and 10 from the goal line. Cause it's like, if that doesn't work, you're, you know, you're punting with no room at all. Like yeah. the, the, the absolute audacity to call that play. And then the skill to execute it was just, uh, outrageous. I was just, you know, it, it, I'm sure you had a similar position as I did watching this game. A lot of rubbing your hands together and like kind of laughing. Oh yeah. I mean, well I was, yeah. I mean, as in the, I was at the stadium and it was just, I mean, it was so much fun. It was so much so fun. fun. And, and yeah, I've watched it a couple of times since I got home and it's just, you know, you just, you watch these passes that they scheme these guys open. There was a throw over the middle to Westover. There was nobody within 10, 10 yards of him. There was a throw to Devin Culp in the at some point a third down. There's nobody within ten yards of him. Yeah. Um, the 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 deep bomb Jalen Polk touchdown in the second half after Michigan State had scored and you could start to see they were thinking okay if we get a stop here and get the ball back like we can make this a game and and Phoenix just absolutely comes out and drops a fifty yard laser on, you know like and right he's and struck. Polk is alone he's ten he's, yards he's, past yeah, anybody there's nobody there I mean it's yeah. just like it's. The, the offense is such a joy to watch. I mean, look, I've loved, I've loved the the Pete Kwiatkowski, Jimmy Lake defenses of the past ten years. The death row the mentality that Chris Peterson brought playing that awesome defense was super fun. But man, it was so stressful playing offense. And now you're just like, wow, this is great. Now I'm, you know, I'm sure we're going to run into a team that has an answer for that, and it's going to not be fun. Um, when this when this offense isn't just a churning machine, but right now it's a churning machine, and you just I mean third down just doesn't scare you anymore. It's like oh, all right, well let's see what they dial up. They're gonna throw a pass to somebody who might like not even be covered. Yeah, you know? because the other team's not like on like you know a third and ten or something like that. They're not thinking of they're not like okay wait, let's stop them here. They're thinking like let's make sure we don't give up a forty five yard pass. <laughs> like yeah. it's just they've just got different things to worry about with how vertical Washington's able to get. And then to be fair, uh, other teams will be more capable of stopping this Michigan state 
uh, the buzz was is that they just had a horrific pass defense last year, and this was their first time kind of playing anybody this year, and those things reared their head. Uh, they were saying there was a they had a guy number twelve on the field in the first half in the defensive backfield, Kimbrough. Uh, as you're following the game on Twitter, the Michigan State people are like they're just throwing at him on every play. He didn't play in the second half. Uh, but you know, it's good to have an offense so ruthless that they spot a deficiency and make you take that player off the field. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that was my, that was the thing that was the most surprising to me because I knew their secondary was, was really bad. And, and last year, and the thing that was the most surprising to me was, you know, Washington's offensive line has played really, really well, but they haven't played, they haven't played anybody. So I was thinking, you know, if there's if what's going to derail this is is when Phoenix doesn't have time, because when he has time, like he's just going to destroy you. And so my, I thought Michigan State was going to be able to with their defensive line and linebackers um, take him out of his comfort zone a little bit. And I was interested to see what UW's offense looks like when it you know it doesn't go all to plan on the pass blocking front. Yeah, um, and I'm still interested to see that because Michigan State was not able to crack that code at all. Yeah. And then uh, uh, you raised the issue, the the kickoff returns. I, I went to the first game of the year against Kent State, right? And Washington, for as great as the offense looked in that game, gave up a handful of, like, really poorly covered kicks. And to see – I don't know if it's a function of what Michigan State is doing or what Washington was able to coach up in the two weeks since then, but – you said you said it exactly. I mean, Michigan State a handful of times were taking these kickoffs and just getting like viciously hit trying to take these kicks back. And I don't know if you noticed by the second half, they went into fair catch mode on those kickoffs. They were like, "We're not doing this anymore. This isn't working for us. We're, yeah, we'll just take the ball in the twenty-five." Please. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna end up putting one of these on the turf if we get yeah. lit up like this. I mean, just yeah. so the kit. So I mean, that's it's awesome to see in season improvement of a weakness uh it's you know just one of the many things that has to have you feeling great about Kalen DeBoer you also talked about uh the defense in this game uh you know creating sacks uh I thought the coverage of the receivers even though they ended up giving up some yardage to Peyton Thorne in this game I think a lot of that is a function of uh Michigan State very early was in a position where they just had to be throwing you know so he yeah. ends up with 323 through the air on the game on 70 yards or 70% completion. So impressive game in the end for him. But then the other reason why they had to get so many yards through the air in this game is Washington stuffed them in the run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they don't have Kenneth Walker anymore. <laughs> Kenneth they Walker was good. I saw uh, a stat that shocked me about this Michigan State game, about uh, Michigan State's uh, – average yards uh before contact on running plays did you see that by chance yeah negative 0.5 yeah so if they handed the ball off we contacted them on average before they reached the line of scrimmage Uh, a foot and a half before they got to the line of scrimmage and this is this is a washington team that everybody just mauled last year on the ground like we you know we had good you know, we had our, our traditionally good pass defense numbers last year because nobody needed to throw the ball against us. You could, we were just like sharp and yeah. soft and you could run on us. So for us to shut down a team, like I think if Michigan State has that game to do over, they say, 
we're not even going to try and establish the run and we're just going to throw because Washington's weaker apparently in the secondary than they are uh, in run defense this year, which is a major switch from what they've been. But, you know, Washington showed the ability to get home uh, a handful of times for sacks in the game. I mean, it was just, yeah, like you said, just super, super fun. Loved every second of it. Love it. All right. So uh, I'll tell you what, as these games, as these scores were coming in on Saturday, I was thinking like, I've missed every one of these. You went six and five. Remarkable. Yeah. You went six and five. You missed UCLA, Notre Dame, BYU, North Dakota State, and ASU. Okay. So those are your five. Okay. Years. Well, I figure everybody at least missed South Alabama and Eastern Michigan. Not true. Tubby had South Alabama. God, Tubby's fucking he's wily. He's wily, dude. <laughs> uh, he had the best week. Uh, he and I had the best week, tied at eight and three. Nice job. Um, he he took South Alabama, and then he turned around and took Colorado. So you know, it's hey, <laughs> give it and it taketh away. Yeah. Um, and so uh, next up, uh, you've got uh, Kellen and Josh at seven and four. Uh, you and Worm at six and five, and then Adam with the first sub five hundred week of the group at five and six. So, yeah. 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 Nobody, so, nobody's out of it. We're still, I mean, everybody's within four games and we got a lot long ways to go. So early days, know. early days, but I'll tell you what, your opportunities constrict. That's right. We go games get cut in half here. Pretty much. There's 11 games last week. There's six this week. We are into conference play and we're going to start off on uh, Saturday, UCLA and Colorado. Uh, the Bruins are going at Colorado, where they are 21 and a half point road favorites. I was just thinking when we were talking about that Colorado score. Uh, we're we're gonna we're about to start seeing some lines in Colorado games. That's unbelievable because UCLA looked like garbage, and I'm gonna take them right now. Oh, I'm taking them without question. Like they, Colorado is the worst team in in Power Five. I'm like could very well be, you know, next to like. Uh, Probably second would be Nebraska. And yeah. Colorado like is is comfortably worse than Nebraska. Yeah. The big the old Big Ten, man. That's that what a great rivalry that was. Yeah. Yep. Oh man. They were yeah, those were those were like real rival schools. And I'll tell you what, I bet uh and Washington's been in this position many times too, man. Sometimes you just wish it was the nineties. Yeah, I mean there's some seventy five year olds who are really pissed about this. Oh yeah. Oh, I was saying uh the other thing you know about how why uh Kalen DeBoer is so good, you know, is that I started to see a good handful of duck accounts on Twitter trying to like start some DeBoer to Nebraska chatter. Yeah. <laughs> they're like there's more than one of them out there just like being, like they know what they're looking at and they're like, uh, oh, we gotta we gotta, you know do whatever meager things we can do to try and get this guy out of here. He, that's just a dumb, I mean, there's going to be better jobs. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And who, you know, and who knows, right? I don't know. Like maybe this yeah. guy is, he's like, he's lived in Seattle and this is like the biggest city he's ever lived in in his life. And he's like, I can't handle this. Very good chance. He's a, uh, uh, you know, Notre, Notre Dame's head coach in a year. Yeah. Two years. Oh, yeah. Notre Dame yeah. or somewhere or just somewhere. But I was going to say, you know, non, I would say more likely than not, he would have some opinions about how Democrats are running the city he's living in. 
Don't you think? Uh, probably. I <laughs> like don't know. He, I, he, he would never say as much. He seems like he's got a lot of sense. But I bet. Yeah, if, like... I, I don't know. I, it's good. It's a good. I, I don't. It's a good question. I think. <laughs> I think that guy. My point being, Nebraska sucks. And yeah. Recruiting in Nebraska sucks, and you don't want to. I mean, you have to get on a plane to recruit anywhere there, basically. Um, it would oh. get like maybe three or four guys a year out of your own state. Uh, if I'm Kalen DeBoer, I'll just I'll keep winning. Thank you, and and <laughs> wait till like South Bend comes calling or. Some you know, some like where it's a little bit easier. Yeah, we gotta get his he's got like school age kids, we gotta get him real immersed in Seattle, big city, West Coast culture. Uh and then the I mean, he we ought to I mean, I think I said this after one quarter against Kent State that we needed to extend him. Yeah, I, I I'm on record as saying I, I don't like his contract to begin with because we had just offered Matt Campbell seven and a half million or whatever a year. And then we turn around and we offer him three and a half. And I understand the argument. It's the logical argument. It's his first time in a power five, blah, blah, blah. It's always been this way. And, and here's what I would say to that argument. Are, are you not paying attention to what's going on in college football? Oh like, yeah. Logic and, and the way things have always been done have nothing to do with the current environment in college football. It's crazy town right now, right? Yep. It, there is crazy like batshit crazy stuff happening everywhere. I I think it, the money doesn't matter. It's going up and it's going up and it's going up. You know, I think when, once you offered Campbell that contract, you should have offered that to DeBoer. Yes. Would he have signed for three and a half? Yes. But would he have come to Washington for seven and a half and been like, oh man, they love me here. This is great. And if, if it was a mistake hire or whatever, it costs you what? Uh, you know five or seven or eight extra thousand million dollars like that who cares who cares like, this is like this isn't like again jimbo fisher's got 90 million dollars guaranteed mel tucker's got 90 million dollars guaranteed on their contract if a or michigan state want to fire those guys they gotta they gotta pony up 90 million you're telling me the difference between a five-year 16 and a half million dollar contract which is what he has and a five-year 37 million dollar contract like it who cares it's it Oh, I I like I'm saying like if if they signed him to there there's no number I'd blink at. If they just said we love how it's going through three games, I want to rip it up 10 yeah. million a year. I'd be because, like, "Great." Because here's the thing, if you don't do it, somebody else will. 100%. And then you're going to be behind the eight ball when they make that offer. You're going to be behind the eight ball trying to play catch up. And the guy's agent's going to be calling you on the phone and saying, "Well, if you value him that highly, why weren't you paying him? Like, why, why are, why are we just now finding out that you're willing to pay him this money because so and so came along and offered him a contract? That it, you're, you're just setting yourself up to oh, fail. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they. When have, he has, I, would, yeah. I agree with you 100. percent I think they have to. I think Jen Cohen has to be proactive here and say, you know. Where you know three million a year was maybe a competitive salary for an for a good college football coach maybe like five ten years ago, it's it's not that world anymore. I would I would say, f- fucking we made a mistake. Double it, yeah. I, oh, I at forgot, a minimum. I I mean, give I them, forgot to multiply the offer by two. Yeah, I'm we sorry we we've let no, and and I would say you know like to the agent being like, well, why didn't you give him more? Like we'd never seen him coach before at this level. Okay. So well, that's why I, if you do it now, the agent's not going to say that. I think it's it. W- when that conversation happens is when the agent's sitting with an offer from 
you know, an ACC school or an SEC school or, so, you know, some other, you know, school that's that understands the game yep. um, that has put a five-year, $40 million offer in front of him. And now Washington is playing catch-up to be like, well, we'll match that. And they're like, yeah. well, hold on, you will? Like, where have you been? You know, you got to get ahead of that. You cannot let another school write that, you know, write that narrative. And if you're wrong and he's terrible and, you know, panics get hurt and we never score another touchdown, it like the, like I said, the 20 million extra dollars or whatever in today's college football, uh, you know, environment is irrelevant. It is about staying on, you know, the wave is coming for, you know, the, 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 mul- the big conferences, the realignment, you know, all of that stuff. And right now, if you're Washington, you are ahead of the wave. You are one of the schools that will come out the other side of this in the best position to, you know, continue to compete for national championships. The only thing you can do to screw that up is to go like, well, this is how it's always been done. You know, like, are you, are you serious? Like that is totally irrelevant in today's environment. Absolutely irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. Yeah. And they, and yeah, they just, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And one of the hugest things in actually having a program that's good for year to year is head coach stability. If we're, I, I don't think there's anybody that the things that impress me most about Kalen DeBoer, obviously the offense is insane, right? You know, but uh, the thing where I was like, this really is the guy was after the first game, that speech that Alex Cook made in the locker room talking about how, how sound operationally we were uh, like, and how the coaches have done such a great job, making sure everything's dialed. Everybody knows where they're supposed to go. Right. Uh, which, you know, I don't know what was going on with Jimmy Lake, but my assumption is that he was doing a lot of learning on the job and, uh, you know, and like maybe we weren't the most organized program in the world in addition to having a terrible offense, you know, but like yeah. this, every indication you have is that this guy knows exactly what he's doing. He's operating in line with his, what his resume was when he came in here was that this guy knows how to win and yep. yeah, pay him. Pay him right now. Sign his daughter. He's, she's one of the best uh, college softball recruits in the country. Get her on campus, get Heather Tarr involved. Yep. I know she already is. So it's not like I'm, that yep. that is happening. Get her in, in roles, like hire an assistant for his wife to help her in any function she has. And if she's like, I don't really need an assistant, then you go to the offensive and defensive coordinators' wives and say, Do you want assistance? Because you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it's just like you you you're on to something here. Like, don't screw it up with the well. It's fiscally financially sound to do it this way, and you know we'll we'll reexamine this at the end of the year. And like, and and I know that's exactly what they're going to do. And it's a gigantic mistake. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they can't do that. Okay. All right. Uh, great side. No I idea think... how we started talking about that, but let's talk about uh, ASU and Utah. <laughs> oh uh, man. ASU this this line game. can't be big enough for me. ASU yeah. or uh, Utah big time, 15 and a half. That seems small to me. It's very small. And I, I had it at 15 when I did mine. So when I yeah. plugged these in earlier today. So yeah, it's that, that line is moving quickly. Yeah. Um, Cause I did this this afternoon. Um, yeah. Utah. I mean, it, it, technically it's in Phoenix, but I mean, you know, you got an interim head coach, you got 51 new players on campus who are like, what this, you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is not what I was told. I mean, this, this could get spectacularly ugly for ASU in these next couple weeks. I agree with that. All right, let's do uh, Arizona and Cal. Yeah, Cal's hosting Arizona. Cal is somehow three-point favorites here. Arizona coming off a nice win at NDSU. Uh, you know, Cal, like we said, kind of 
should have probably beat Notre Dame. What are your thoughts here? They should have, but like, I mean, Cal, I mean, this is like a, for me, just a, like an extreme toss up game. Yep. Uh, I've either, I mean, I guess I would say I have to back the Wildcats cause they're getting points and they've won two games and Cal hasn't. Yeah. I'll get on the other side of that and take Cal. I mean, not for any real positive reason, but I, you know, they're at home, Arizona, as I think we saw is not quite ready for the big time yet. Um, if Cal can play a decent game, they should be able to win this game. Um, that's, that's probably a mistake, but I'm going to take Cal. Then we got some two good games here. I'll finish this out. Really good games. First, Oregon state hosting USC, USC six point favorites. We all remember the Pete Carroll era, Pete Carroll era at USC, Oregon state had some crazy wins in uh research stadium for, for those years. House of uh, horrors for the Trojans house of absolute horrors. Uh, here's the deal. I don't think Lincoln Riley understands anything about that or cares. Um, and I don't think USC's getting enough respect in this game. I'm, I'm taking the Trojans. I'm taking the Trojans as well. They look like they're legitimately, legitimately good. Uh, I, I think they can score 40 points in every game they play. And, and I think that's Oregon state to be in this game has to have a defense that shows up and keeps USC in like low twenties. I don't think they can do it. I think, yeah. Well, I think they could win. If, so, yeah. I mean, I think Oregon State needs to score 30. And they, Oregon State, if I'm into this game, I'm doing whatever I can to try and make it ugly, you know, make it chaotic. Uh, because, you know, you have the opportunity to introduce the first adversity that Lincoln Riley has faced as USC head coach in a place that maybe he doesn't know about. But everybody on that roster that's been there before is, is used to losing. Yeah. And so they're flying high right now. Their quarterback doesn't know. Their coach doesn't know. And maybe, you know, and they all, I'm assuming, went to USC because they were the the best of the best, and they figured we'll we'll never lose. We never lost in high school. We're sure as hell never going to lose here when we're playing with, like, the All-State team. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, mean, yeah, but six points ain't enough, I don't think. I mean, there's a a world in which Oregon State finds a way to win this game. But in my view – it's almost as high as like 90 times out of a hundred USC is covering six. Yeah. I, I just feel like USC is going to win this by 12 or 14 points. Alrighty. Then we got, uh, uh, before we get to the dogs, uh, we didn't talk about Oregon and Washington state. Did we game of the week? Hello. Yes. In, in Pullman, in Pullman, in Pullman, you got the Cougs, you got the ducks, you got the ducks, six and a half point. Road favorites against these Cougs with this plucky defense in the front seven and against the uh, Oregon team that I have surmised has trouble throwing the ball down the field. Well, I was saying, I was listening to some of the Oregon chatter this week, and they're saying, uh, because I don't know, all I know about Bo Nix is that he was underwhelming enough is that by the end, people were like ready to be done with him at Auburn, you know? Yeah. And uh, I I heard somebody talking this week saying that like, there's good bow and there's bad bow, right? And you're going to see both of them over the course of the year. So, I've this is this is a very interesting game. Trap game for me because Oregon does not um, view WSU as a huge rival. I don't believe, but WSU has beat Oregon in the last couple of years. They didn't last year, but they. They've gotten him a few times. Oh, before and, then, up until uh, wh- whatever year it was, uh, Washington State had game day finally with Minshew. 
they had beaten Oregon four times in a row, which, like, can you imagine that as a Husky fan? Yeah, no, I mean, they get them. And yeah. they're, going into, they're going into what's going to be a really rowdy Pullman right early in the school year. Everybody's going to be jacked up for this game. Oregon, I wish it was at night from a Washington State standpoint. I don't like that it's in the middle of the day. I don't know. I mean, I think they'll be. I think they'll figure out a way to. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be drunk. They're going to get the logistics figured <laughs> but out. But you know? I want to be like criminally drunk. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I, I the Coons oh, will yeah. find a way. I don't mean to suggest that they won't find a way to be well inebriated. Yeah, when they're going to get starts. there. They're going to get there. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know, man. This is to me a really tough call. I'm going to take. I'm going to take. I'm going to do the thing I did last week, where I take Oregon. Because I want to be wrong. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing. I should have done that last week. I'm gonna take Oregon as well, but uh, five 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 for Washington State. Yeah, I'm all about I'm all about the Cougs winning this game, and I hope that I hope that I'm I'm I was, I'm wrong about this. I, you know, we'll see how good their their secondary you know is able to to contain Knicks, and hopefully they're able to do it. Fucking a man. All right, uh, that leaves us with uh, Washington and Stanford. And how good are these Huskies? You know, uh, we got Stanford is one and one. What did they lose to USC and had a bye last week? Uh, and then I, I forget who they played in their other game. Colgate. Yeah, not not an impressive. Yeah, Stanford. We don't really know yet. Stanford. Here's something. Here's something odd about Stanford. Last five games, uh, lost at Oregon State last year. Lost to Cal. Shocker. Got killed by Cal last year. I completely forgot about that. Uh, lost to Notre Dame, got killed, and lost to USC. I mean, look at these last five games. They were just getting slaughtered. So I don't know if I mean Tanner McKee is a competent quarterback, David Shaw, good coach. But I think Stanford. I've, I, I looking at this makes me think. Uh, I'm very. I mean, we were gonna. T- I was gonna take the dogs anyway by the rules of the podcast but i'm feeling like that's a good pick yeah i mean the line opened uw minus 11 and as of this afternoon when i did this it was uw minus 13 and a half yep that's Um, what i'm showing it's a big number i mean that's a two and a half point jump in two days um i I, look i think i think the concern on washington side is the letdown factor right like that michigan state game was a party and was a huge um you know, release of, of negative energy that had been pent up in the program for a long time under Lake. You can beat up on the, on the little guys and feel good about that, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to truly exhale and be like, Oh, we're back until something like that Michigan state game happens. And now the question is, can Washington turn around this week and deal with a Stanford team that frankly sucks? Um, You know, EJ Smith, they're, they're running back. Emmett Smith's son is out. Um, you know, Tan McKee does not have a stable of dynamic, uh, athletic, you know, wide receivers and super tall tight ends that he can that he can call on. Their offensive line isn't that great. I mean, you know, they're just this is not a very good Stanford team. Um, you, University of Washington should win this game comfortably, even with a huge line. Um, but that's what you're. That's what we're waiting for, right? With DeBoer, we just had a five minute discussion about paying the man fifty million dollars is like, you know. If, if, I, I if didn't they commit come to out, a number, but I'd be fine giving him the Mel Tucker contract. Yeah, I mean, if they come out this week and and are able to bounce back, you know, not bounce back is not the right term, but like avoid the letdown, look look good again, look dialed, execute, um, 
I mean, I think at that point, it you know, if you're a Washington fan, like you're really, I'm I'm really going to start to get it un, you know unreasonable with my expectations. Um, yeah, they're already because... yeah they're get they're getting to be borderline. I'm like I'm I'm having they've been so good through the first three games. I'm having the fun that I had in sixteen right now. Yeah, not and our defense isn't anywhere near that. You know, but the, the, you know you the last week they say you know like you got to win your clunkers right, and there was a couple teams across the country that you know squeaked out wins against lesser opponents. And you say you got to win your you got to win your clunkers. I wonder if Washington's do four or about that you know about to have one a clunker and then can they still beat stanford if they do um i think oh they can gosh. i don't know if they can cover i think they can um we'll see i'm excited for the game god man i'm looking 7 at 30 kick yeah i love it it's going to be so fun to watch excited for that think about how poor our offense has been for the last handful of years and now we're sitting here we're third in the country in passing yards a game seventh in the country in total yards per game i mean we're just a machine. And another thing about DeBoer, they were talking about uh, listening to some people discuss the Arizona State opening, and somebody said his impression, on, I was listening to like the Pac-12 radio, that's how excited I am for Washington, is I was like driving around listening to Pac-12 radio on the Sirius, just like wanted to hear them talk about the Huskies, you know? Yeah. Uh, but they were saying that like, you kind of, like in the current climate of college football, it, it makes more sense to go for an offensive guy, because either if you have an offensive head coach that has a system that works and they can score points, you've got that guy locked down. If you're a defensive head coach and you've managed to find an offensive coach that does something that scores points, he's gone. Yeah. He's, he's hired immediately. He's out of there for whatever reason, more people can do defense than, than can come up with some kind of innovative offense. Well, I hope we keep him, man. I hope we do the right thing. I hope so too. I hope so too. Uh, go dogs. You got anything else for this week? No, man, I'm excited for the game. I love it, man. I love it. All right, uh, that does it for this week's episode of Eligible Receivers. For Eric, I'm Warren. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next week.